have the awesome opportunity of being able to preach this Sunday, and so we're looking forward to spending some time in the Word. And here's something that we want you to know, whether you've been coming for a few weeks or this is maybe your first time checking it out, we want you to know that Reality Church, this is a safe place to be able to explore the message of Christianity. This is a safe place to explore the teachings, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that you know that we are going to be teaching the Word of God here, and we want you to be able to wrestle with it, engage with it, and spend some time in conversation with others about it. And so we are thrilled to be able to, end, to be in the Word this morning. So we are taking a break from the Gospel of Matthew. We've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, and over the next two weeks, we're going to take a break from Matthew, and we're going to be in a couple different parts of the Scriptures in preparation for next week which is our one-year anniversary as a church. You guys excited about our one year? It's unbelievable to think that we have already been gathering together as a church for a year. Amazing. We're thrilled to celebrate next Sunday. We've got more information coming after the service about that. But today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be in verses 17 through 21. And while you guys are turning there, I'm going to talk about um, just the importance of why we do what we do as a church. This is kind of where we're headed in the message. But before we dive into that, I do want to say this. I'm already hungry and we haven't even like finished service. Anybody else with me? All right. I'm starving, dude. I'm like so ready for lunch. And as I was thinking about food, one of the things that, I, that I've come to realize is I have like an obsession, an obsession with steaks. Does anybody here like a good steak? Oh, my goodness. There is like nothing better to me, I think it's like one of the best things ever. A beautifully seared steak, right? Nah, medium rare? Medium rare. Where are my medium rare people? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Where are my shoe leather well done people? Yes, I know there's some. Hey, look, I love to grill. I love to cook. It's definitely a passion of mine, and I love cooking steaks. But, man, there is something that just grieves me is when I have to cook a steak for my mom. Because my mom, she's a well-done person. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the kind of steak that I bought my family. I'm so excited to prepare it. I'm seasoning it up. I've got the grill fired up. I'm getting ready to throw it on the grill. And then my mom's like, make sure it's well done. And I'm like, ah. This is like a little part of me dies inside. As soon as I hear the words, like, this poor cow. Its future was so much brighter up until those words. <laughs> it's like now it's going to be leather, literally. And so, man, but here's the thing about cooking, especially when you're cooking steaks, you have to master the art of searing. Now, what is searing? Searing is putting a really hot cooking surface and taking the steak and putting it on that really hot cooking surface until the outside of the steak creates this beautiful seared crust that then traps the juices of the steak on the inside. It is absolutely essential to making and preparing a really good steak. One of the worst things you could do in grilling a steak is throwing the meat on the grill before the grill's hot enough to produce a good sear. You almost like ruin the steak because you didn't wait for that surface to get to the right temperature to cause that sear. Now, Pastor Gus, why in the world are you talking about searing a steak? That's a good question. But just like the texture and the appearance of the steak is permanently altered by the contact of that hot cooking surface. The same is true about our lives when we come into contact with the one true living God. 
You cannot walk away from a saving encounter with Jesus Christ and stay the same. The scriptures teach us that we are transformed, that we change. Something happens. Something miraculous happens at that moment when we encounter the one true living God and we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are transformed. We are made new. And that is what we're going to study today in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at three main points. But if you had to take this whole message and kind of summarize it into one truth, it would be this. And I want to encourage you to take notes. I want you to write this down, type this up. It is simply this. Our new identity gives us a new mission. Our new identity gives us a new mission. Which What we're going to see in the text today as we read it and study it is that as you and I encounter the one true living God and he rescues us and he saves us, he makes us new. We receive a new identity and this new identity is going to pave the way for a new purpose in life, a new mission in life. Let's go ahead and read the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, and this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal to or through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful ending to think through. So that in him, in Christ, you and me might become the righteousness of God. So we're going to look at three truths in this text. The first truth that we're going to see is that we are going to see a transformed messenger, a transformed messenger. Look back there at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love that. The old has passed away and the new has come. This text is clearly saying that when you have a true saving encounter with Jesus Christ the Lord, that you are transformed, you are changed permanently. That the old is passed away and the new has come. That is powerful. A saving encounter with Jesus is going to leave a permanent mark on your life. The same way that a steak coming into contact with a hot cooking surface is changed forever. Like it leaves a mark. There's something visible. There's something there that you notice. Something took place. Something happened. Something changed. Something was transformed. And what powerful language to say that we, at the moment of salvation, if you are in Christ, can become a new creation. Now, what are some of the things that permanently change at the moment of our salvation? Here's a few things. First is Jesus, at the moment of our salvation, he takes away our guilt and our shame. And that, brothers and sisters, is such good news. Because I know what I've done. I know my struggles. I know my sin. And to think that Jesus Christ has removed and taken away my guilt and shame brings me to tears. 
as it brings many of us to tears as we think about everything that we've done and in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of all of our sin, God looks down at us and says, I love you and I will forgive you and I will make you new. That's powerful. That's beautiful. Not only does Jesus take away our guilt and our shame, he atones, he covers, he pays for our sin. And it says it right there in verse 21. It says, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful thought to think that Jesus took our place, that Jesus took our sin and he dies the death that we ultimately deserved because of our brokenness, because of our sin. Not only does that permanently change, but guess what? You've been given a new status and a new position in the kingdom of God. You've been given a new family. The minute you repented of your sins and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you are no longer an enemy of God, but you become family of God. You're no longer outside the kingdom of God. Now you're inside the kingdom of God. That is a beautiful, powerful transformation that takes place at the moment of your salvation. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, and he was teaching a lesson on this. And I remember he was sharing this illustration with me, and I loved the way he was talking about it. We're both kind of like foodies. We like, we like going out to eat. We love restaurants. But we're kind of similar in this regard. If I go to a spot and I try it out, and it was an absolutely terrible experience, I like probably 0% chance of ever going back. Like, I'm not usually that guy's like, yeah, let me give that spot a second chance. It's like, especially when you live in Miami, there are so many restaurants to try. It's like you have a terrible experience. You're like, I'm not really going to go waste money and give that, you know, that place another shot when I could just go try a new spot. Right? So we're talking about this, and he goes, yeah, but what do you do if you go back through that spot and you see that restaurant now has a banner that says, under new management, would you give it a shot? Mm, I mean, that's a good hypothetical situation. I, I don't know. And he goes, man, isn't that kind of like the Christian life, though? And I was like, what do, what do you mean? And he says, it's like the minute that you give your life to Christ, it's as if we should now have a sign hanging around our neck that says, under new management. You knew me before Christ, and you knew who I was, but I'm different now. You got to give me a second chance. Like, I'm no longer who I used to be. The old has passed away and the new has come. I'm, I'm under new management. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is king of my life. And I have a new purpose in life. You know, one of the transformations that takes place through our salvation is that we start to have a perspective shift in life. We start to see things differently through the lens of Scripture. And through the lens of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first perspective shift is, is how you view yourself. You view yourself now as a redeemed child of God. And that's a shift that starts to take place the more you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you through salvation. Another perspective shift is how you start to see the people that God has placed around you. You start to recognize that the believers are these new creations in Christ. And then you start to also look at the unbelievers as people who need Christ and the hope that only Jesus can truly offer. And you desire for them to have the same experience that you've had in Jesus Christ. And this perspective shift helps us to recognize the second truth in this passage, which is this. Our new identity in Christ reveals to us a new purpose. We have been given a new mission. 
We have been given a new mission. Look back at verse 18. It says this in the scriptures, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Here's the key phrase, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Drop down to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Isn't that powerful to see this new mission that God has assigned to you, that God has entrusted to you? Like once you are in Christ, this renewed sense of vision and purpose This new mission has been made very clear that you are called to be an ambassador for Christ, dispensing the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what a cool imagery to think about being an ambassador. And just for a moment, what does it mean to be an ambassador? What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who is appointed to live in a foreign country, but who remains loyal and speaks for his homeland. Isn't that beautiful imagery to think about? Like at the moment of your salvation, you have been now brought into God's kingdom. And you start to have a perspective shift that realizes this is not our final home. Like we're just sojourners passing through. And in essence, now we live in a foreign land representing the king of kings. And what else does an ambassador do? Not only does an ambassador represent the one who sends them. Guess what? An ambassador also speaks the message of the one who sends them. And you speak that message with the authority of the one who sends you. But guess what? In order to be a really good ambassador, you have to stay in constant communication with the one who sends you. That's the life that we're called to live. This is the mission that every single one of you in here is called to. And I got to be honest with you, when I was first a believer, not many people ever taught me that God had this kind of expectation for my life. And there may may be some of you in here, you're hearing this for the very first time. Like you didn't realize that God is calling every single person here who has followed Jesus Christ in salvation to this ministry of reconciliation. This is not the job description of the pastor. The Apostle Paul is writing this to the believers in Corinth. He's saying this is a job description for anyone who has been redeemed and saved by Jesus Christ. Every single person here who has received a new identity in Christ, is called to embrace this new mission of reconciliation, this ministry of carrying reconciliation to our neighborhoods, to our community, to our city, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. That's powerful. That's not just my job. That's not just Pastor Carlos's job. That's not Panos's job. That's our ministry. You know, as we come up to celebrating our one-year anniversary, and one thing that we say a lot here is we talk about our mission as a church, that we exist to lead people to discover and display the reality of Jesus. And this is ultimately the why behind the what. Why do we want to do this so badly? First and foremost, because God has called us to do it. We need more churches in the city of Miami because we need more saints equipped to go out into our city proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the message of reconciliation. But what does it mean to bring the ministry of reconciliation? What is reconciliation? Like as you think through that term, reconciliation is bringing two parties 
who have had a disagreement or who are at odds or who are at war and bring in peace between them. What the Apostle Paul is instructing in this text is basically saying, you now hold the key, you hold the good news, you hold the declaration of peace that a holy, righteous God that all of us who are sinful have sinned against has provided a way of salvation, a way to bring both sides to peace, to bring both sides together, and that is through repentance and faith, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord our Savior. That's the message that we hold. But then another question has to come up. Okay, Pastor Gus, I see it. We're called to bring the message of reconciliation to the people around us, but but what's the scope of our mission? Like, how far should it extend? And that's a great question. And I want to lead you to two scriptures that kind of help us see God's heart for the scope of this ministry. And the first one is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is Jesus' last teachings before he ascends into heaven. So just to give you a quick timeline, he's been crucified. He resurrected from the dead. He comes back to visit the apostles in resurrected form. He spends some days teaching them. Then he takes them up to the mountainside. He gives them this final instruction. Then he ascends to heaven and we await his return. These are Jesus' final words. Listen to this. He came to them and says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And right here, Jesus' final words, he gives us his final command, make disciples. But then he gives us the scope. Of all nations. The Greek word that gets translated nations there is ethne, where we get our word for ethnic groups. So don't try to put it into these geopolitical borders where you think nations as like the little lines you see on a map, but think more about distinct actual people groups. Because you can have one geographical nation that has hundreds of distinct ethnic people groups within that nation. That's what Jesus is wanting us to target. Every unique, distinct people group around the entire world deserves to hear the message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the scope of our mission. Here's another verse to help kind of reemphasize that. This is another um, account of Jesus' final instructions to the apostles before the ascension. He says this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Did you notice the centrifugal force of the gospel in this verse? The church was birthed right there in Jerusalem. After the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, empowers Peter. Peter starts preaching. All these people start responding to the message. They start forming community in Acts chapter 2. And then from there, the book of Acts catalogs how they moved from Jerusalem to the surrounding regions. And ultimately, they started sending missionaries out to different countries to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to start churches, to reach new people, to teach them the commands of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're part of. This heritage, this history, this lineage, and ultimately the mission that Jesus initiated with his final command. And my prayer has been, and Pastor Carlos's prayer has been, that 
may the final words and the final command of Jesus truly and ultimately be our first priority as a people of God. May this be what we devote our entire lives to. And yet, you know, as I was thinking through this, what is our motivation to live this kind of life? What is the motivation to live out this ministry of reconciliation? You know, it's a question that I get like a lot of my family. um, They're not followers of Jesus. And, you know, before I came to Reality Church, I was serving at a different church where I was entrusted with the responsibility of traveling to different countries on mission and helping train and equip different nationals and different pastors in evangelism, disciple making and church planting. And some of the places that I would have to go to are very risky and very dangerous, and I would have to be very cautious as to being in some of these countries. And I remember having a family member ask me, he's like, why do you do it, man? Why, why do you go on these trips, putting your life at risk, the potential of harm, the potential of persecution? Why would you do that? And it's a good question. It's a fair question. And man, I, I remember sitting there and thinking through it. And ultimately, like, it sounds like a simplistic answer, but it's the honest truth. Because of God's love and grace. I think God's love and grace in my life has shown me how he's redeemed such a sinful wretch like me. And why wouldn't I devote my life to help somebody else encounter the same message of hope that radically transformed my life? Like, why would I keep that to myself? Like, if it's something that has meant so much to me, why would I not want to share it with somebody that I say I love? And so I just told him, man, it's because of God's grace and love in my life. It's, it's so transformed me that I feel compelled to share it. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives us the motivation right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go back a few verses. Look at verse 14 and 15. Because he's building his case and he starts off with what compels him to live differently in the midst of a Roman Empire, in the midst of a culture that's going completely against the grain of God's instruction And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. The love of Christ is what compels us to embrace this new mission. The love of Christ is what motivates us. It's what guides us. And it's what ultimately helps us realize that he paid the ultimate sacrifice to rescue you and me. That Jesus Christ laid it all down to save you from your sin. To give you hope. To give you new life. To give you a new status as family of God children of God. So powerful and so beautiful. And and here's kind of a phrase that I've kind of used to help me stay grounded in this beautiful truth. And I want you to write this down. Grace received should lead to grace proclaimed. Grace received should lead to grace proclaimed. The more I understand and appreciate God's love and grace for me, the more I have a desire to spread his glory to those around me. Grace received should lead to grace proclaimed. And now that we understand our ministry, let's take a look at the message that we're called to proclaim to this world. Here's our third truth. We have a compelling message. We really do. We have a compelling message. Look there at verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world 
to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Look down at verse 21. He, God, made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel of Jesus is the most important message in the world, and it is truly a compelling message. It demands a response. It demands our attention. And here's the cool thing. The word gospel in the New Testament, that original Greek word literally means good news. This compelling message that we have to share with the world is good news. There is hope for our brokenness. There is hope for the future. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. That is great news. And we should be excited about that news. And we should be thrilled to be able to embody that, live it out, and proclaim that good news. And as you think about this compelling message, we see what many theologians refer to as the great exchange wrapped up in verse 21. And it is so simple yet so profound to think that God took his one and only son who lived a sinless, perfect life, who came down, took on the form of man, lived like one of us, and died a death on the cross that he did not deserve in order to be a sin offering a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God towards our sin, to cleanse us from our sin. And in the exchange, he takes our sin and he gives us the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, that is powerful. That is the gospel. That is the good news that you, on your own merit, on your own strength, cannot do enough good to satisfy God's demands. But Jesus was able to do everything you needed in order to have salvation. He accomplished everything you needed, and all you have to do is repent of your sins to finally have a change of heart, change of mind, that leads you to recognize you cannot save yourself and that you desperately need Jesus. So you repent, and then you believe. And believe is simply faith and trusting in what Jesus says he can do on your behalf. Trusting in the fact that Jesus truly can forgive you of your sins. And there is where the resurrection of Jesus comes to play. Just as we saw earlier in verse 15, that he was raised. The fact that Jesus Christ was able to overcome death proves his true identity as the son of God. That he has the power and the ability to overcome death. And therefore, he has the power and the abilities to overcome the sin in your life. That's who we follow. That's who we worship. That's who we are ultimately devoted to. He is our king. He is our savior. He is our Lord. And this Lord has transformed us. And he's given us a new mission. And he's entrusted to us such a compelling message to bring to the world. And now we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with it? And my prayer has been this, that a saving encounter with God would ignite a passion in us to live on mission for God. Because here's the reason, who we are in Christ changes what we live for. Who we are in Christ changes what we live for. This saving encounter that we have with God should stir up in us, should ignite a passion to live a life on mission for the Lord. There's this great book 
um, called Designed to be Like Him, written by a professor, theologian named J. Dwight Pentecost. And I remember there was this paragraph that he wrote in there, and I read it when I was in my early 20s, and it just captured me. And I want to share this quote with you guys, and, and here's kind of just summarizing the purpose of life. And he says this, there can be no higher goal, there can be no higher ambition, there can be no higher purpose than that which the word of God puts before us as the chief end of the child of God, which is to glorify God. The greatest goal in the believer's life is not his own enjoyment of his salvation. His highest goal is not learning the truths of scripture, as good as that is, nor even teaching and preaching the word. His greatest goal is to live out Jesus Christ so that men may know the Father. What a powerful thought. That as you reflect on the salvation that you receive from Jesus Christ, as you celebrate the fact that you are a transformed person, that you are a transformed messenger, and that you've been called into this new mission, that you've been given and entrusted the ministry of reconciliation, that we would consider the greatest goal to have in life is to faithfully live out Jesus proclaiming his message so that others around us may truly come to know the Father. And in essence, what J. Dwight Pentecost says is that ultimately is the best way to glorify God because the teachings have taken root in your heart and your life and they're being manifested in your relationships with other people and other people are seeing their need for God. You want to glorify God? That's the kind of life that we should strive to live. Does that mean we're perfect? No, guys, we're not. We desperately need Jesus every day of our life. But we have a new goal in life. We have a new purpose. We have a new mission. And we're trying to live life on mission. I want to transition and end our message by giving you a practical resource. Because here's what I've come to realize. Many of us will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes we've never been taught that this is the life that God wants you to live. And as we start to try to explore, well, what does that look like? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I engage in the ministry of reconciliation? Like, how do I leverage my life for the sake of the gospel? And I, I want to start sharing the good news, but like, how do I do it? And so I want to provide you a practical resource. We're going to throw a QR code on the screen. Go ahead and take out your cell phones. Go for it. Take out your cell phones. Scan the QR code. It's going to take you to a website that's going to teach you a method. And I'm going to run through it quickly this Sunday but the website is going to provide more instructional teaching, and it's going to also give you an option to download an app that's going to help walk people through the illustrations that I'm going to share on the screen. And in essence, I'm going to walk you through what's called the three circles. And the three circles is a really good resource for being able to share your story and the story of God. It's powerful. And so here's what we're going to do. This, I'm just going to walk you through it. It's going to help explain it. But ultimately, what I want you to do is I want you to look at that website, there's some instructional teachings that will go in greater length at training you. And I want you to download that app. And then just start practicing through it. It's got scriptures. It's got, like, talking points. It literally guides you on how to have a spiritual gospel conversation with somebody where you can talk through the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's what I like about the three circles. The three circles starts by recognizing God's design. Because we see beauty and purpose and evidence in God's design all around us. And the Bible tells us that he originally created this world to work perfectly. Everything fits together in harmony and unity. And God made each one of us with purpose. 
If you go back to the origin accounts in scriptures, you see that he says in the beginning that he created everything. He says, and it was very good. But then something happens. We see sin comes into the mix. And sin is any time that we deviate from God's good design. It's when we start to give in to our selfish impulses and we start to go against God's good design and we start operating in a different path. The Bible calls that sin and we start to distort the original design that God had. But look at the next phase. What does sin lead to? Sin leads to brokenness. And this is so easy to have a spiritual conversation with people because I don't think anyone who is paying attention to the headlines in 2022 can sit here and say, we live in a perfect world. No. It is so easy to just have a conversation like, man, there's brokenness in this world. And it doesn't matter if you are in here and you follow Jesus or not, I think we can all agree that we visibly see and feel brokenness on the daily in the world that we live. And people recognize that there's brokenness in this world. And then you see those little squiggly lines veering off from brokenness. In our attempts to try to deal with our brokenness, we try to, you know, make decisions and fill in our gaps. We try to solve our own problems and we pursue things that we think are going to bring us wholeness and that are going to ease our pain and that are going to solve our brokenness. But we're left chasing things that leave us empty inside. Sure, they may numb the pain and we can self-medicate for a season, but then we come out of that and we realize we're still broken. And that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the good news. It is the solution to our sin problem. It is the remedy to our brokenness. And that's the mission of Jesus. That's why he came to this earth. God sent his one and only son to this earth to live and suffer like one of us and ultimately to die on the cross a death he didn't deserve, to pay for our sins. And then to prove that he was truly God, he rose from the grave. And he ascended to heaven where he is crowned king of kings. Now here's the thing. The gospel demands a response. It's not enough to just hear the good news. Like once somebody hears the good news... The gospel demands a response. So you got to do something with it. And the scriptures are very clear. Mark chapter 1 says, repent and believe. For the kingdom of God is near. And that's the same response for us today. When you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the response is to repent, to have a change of heart and a change of mind that leads you to recognize your brokenness and your desperate need for Jesus. And then you place your ultimate trust and faith in him to rescue you and save you. And the minute someone is saved, now they're enabled and empowered by the Spirit to start recovering and pursuing God's good design that he had for us. This is the message of the gospel. This is what we're called to live by. And this is the message of reconciliation that we are called to proclaim to the world around us. And so I want to start challenging you as the band comes up to play. I want to challenge you with this question. Who is someone who is close to you but may be far from God that you can start praying for consistently and that you can eventually start sharing the good news with them? I want you to think about who that person is. And I want you to write the names that are coming to your mind right now in your notes. Just write the names. The Spirit is already bringing people to mind. Like who is somebody that's close to you but is far from God that you can start praying for? And I want to challenge you. Start praying for them. God, open a door. 
for me to be able to have a spiritual conversation with my friend, with my family member, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a child. And then God, when that opportunity is there, give me boldness to be able to speak with clarity. Who is somebody close to you but far from God that you can start praying for and sharing? And I want to start challenging all of you. Let's live a life on mission in the city of Miami that reaches the ends of the earth. I'm excited to celebrate our one-year anniversary. This is why we have started a church in the city of Miami, to be ambassadors for Christ in a very dark place, a place that we all love. This is home for us. We love this city. We grieve for this city, and yet we don't want to leave it the same. We want to impact it with the good news of Jesus Christ. As I think about being a light in this community, light oftentimes shines brightest in the darkest places. What a season for us to be ministers of the gospel in the city of Miami. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for the salvation that we have received. We thank you for the new identity that you've given us. We are no longer who we once were. You've removed our guilt and our shame. You've extended grace and forgiveness to us. You met us in our brokenness and you offered us hope. And as your people, we say thank you. Thank you for loving us broken, sinful people in desperate need of saving. And so God, now we pray for boldness. We pray for courage to live out this new identity that leads to this new mission. Help us to be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to carry out this message of peace and reconciliation, this good news that Jesus can bring forgiveness to someone's life that Jesus can bring transformation, that Jesus can save someone from the eternal separation that sin causes. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our community. May we live faithfully on mission for you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.